everybody. Yes, it's that time again. It's Friday. It's the, uh, the 29th of July. Oh my God, this year is screaming by so quickly. Um, and uh, it is time again for the Game Life Podcast. Hello, I'm Chris Kohler, the host of the Game Life Podcast. It is a podcast that we here at Wired like to do about the video games, and we're happy that you, you joined us uh, for this week's discussion of the video games. Um, with me here um, in a Google Hangout, uh, as, as per usual, uh, is a Wired writer of some renown, and his name is... Jake Muncy. Hiya. Hi, Jake. Hi, Jake. Nice to see you. And finally, in the Thunderdome, uh, Times Game Critic. Matt Peckham, good morning, Jake, and happy Friday to you, Mr. Chris Kohler. Good morning <laughs> to everybody. Yes, good um, morning. Yeah. It is a good morning. It's been a very interesting week. Very, very interesting week indeed, um, because uh, Eurogamer has put up a report um, from multiple sourced uh, report, multiple anonymous sources, by the way, um, about the Nintendo NX, the upcoming uh, mysterious console from Nintendo. Um, and that report just so happens to pretty much corroborate um, a lot of uh, my predictions about the NX, um, a lot of the things uh, that, you, that you hear uh, occasionally every now and again when people, people start talking um, about, uh, about what they think is going on. And uh, certainly um, a lot of the rumors uh, that had uh, sort of come out previously, um, which is to say, if I may do a quick rundown, the NX is indeed, um, as per Eurogamer, importantly, this could be... You know, this could be Eurogamer's, um, you know, LSD-fueled review of Cybermorph moment. I, I have no <laughs> idea. Um, it, you know, they, they might have, they might have, they might have done some bad stuff and seen this all in the, in the drug-fueled haze. I, I can't tell you. What I can tell you is they, they're very confident. These are not Eurogamer are not rumor mongers. Um, these they they really seem to be confident enough in reporting this as a as a news piece rather than a rather than a blind item rumor wrap up. We heard this somewhere. Um, they're really moving forward with this. And this is what they say: hybrid of a home and portable console, which just to say, imagine a tablet um, with connectable uh, little controller pieces, so that it becomes essentially a Wii U gamepad but all of the stuff is inside the gamepad, and so it is a portable, um, self-contained video game unit. Those controller pieces on the left and right could come off, and now you have just a tablet with a touchscreen. And then you also have two little controller pieces, and you could, each person could take one of these controller pieces if you wanted to play a two-player game and perhaps flip them sideways, and so now you've essentially got sort of like an analog stick and some buttons each and that you could use these for a some kind of two-player game. Oh, and also, the tablet somehow docks, um, somehow, uh, and then would display these graphics on the TV. And the pitch is, you know, it's a Nintendo, you know, home game console with the Nintendo home games, such as, you know, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, the full-on Nintendo, you know, HD experience. But then you can also take this with you on the go, if you want. I'm not saying this is definitely going to be a success, but I definitely said in a, in a piece, you know, that, like, this is Nintendo's best move in a world where it does not know what its next move is. It's, it's move... And, and I really, as I was writing this, it kind of occurred to me, like, oh, right. Not only has Nintendo kind of lost the battle or given up on the battle or no longer wants to litigate the battle of the, the super high-end video game platform, of the, of the you know, the, the very expensive gaming um, scenario like PlayStation 4, Xbox One. Not only that, I think that Nintendo realizes that it has lost the fight for your five minutes of free time at the bus stop. Um, because when I look at the NX and you think, well, this thing doesn't look, it doesn't look like I can put it in my pocket. And I think a lot of people are kind of thinking that. Um, I kind of think that that is over for Nintendo. Like that they don't necessarily want you to carry this thing around in your pocket. I mean, it really seems like they're they're losing that end of it too, and they really want to concentrate on the the situation in which yeah, the system is portable. You can take it with you where you go. You can take it with you on an airplane, but it's not necessarily the thing that you just sort of pull out for five minutes at a time, like the DS might have been, like the 3DS might have been, because that that battle has already been won by the smartphone. And I kind of point to myself and say, look. 
I have a 3DS. I love Nintendo games. I am the sort of person who should be bringing his 3DS everywhere. I am the person who did bring his DS everywhere I went to play little bits of games. But now it's like, if I have a couple seconds, I'm just, I'm not even playing a game necessarily. I'm, either, I'm on Twitter um, or, can, on, or on eBay. Can I throw this, just a counterpoint to that, a counter thought to that? Like, okay, yeah. so, because one of the arguments I heard was, you know, they've lost the battle because, uh, you know, you put a 3DS in front of a kid and an iPad in front of a kid, and the kids are tending to gravitate to the iPad more and that sort of thing. Well, okay, no, fair enough. I mean, the, yeah. the 3DS has, you know, what, 60 million units. I mean, it's mm -hmm. beating the PS4 and the Xbox One in combined sales still, even though that won't be for much longer. But, uh, you know, I think about, I think, I guess I would maybe challenge the idea that the that the portable device, the, the tablet, say, I'm, st I'm thinking more of the tablet than the phone, it, which this is more in that category than the, than mm -hmm. the phone, yeah. is is a device you pull out and play for a few minutes. My son, not even, right. I mean, he's about to turn four years old, will sit with Minecraft if I would let him for five hours in a row. Yes. You know, yes. Minecraft yes. is a yes. game that, you know, and, and the tablet has become that experience, you know, for, for so many in different ways. So I, I almost wonder if the NX isn't, if, if in fact this is the, the form that it takes, mm -hmm. you know, acknowledging that. Let's say, uh, for purposes of argument for this podcast, let's just pretend that this is definitely it. Okay. And okay. and move forward based on that, with the caveat that all of this is null and void if the NX is actually like a you know a Linux box running Steam. I don't know. Oh, safe. So so the oh, only God. other thought I have. <laughs> <laughs> the only if that's the but case, I, if we if we assume. Yeah. If we assume this is it, the only other thing I want to point out, because I have not, with the possible exception of you, Chris, because I, I don't know that I saw your piece, but there are all of the pieces that I saw that I read talking about this were focused 99% on the hardware, and I mean, 1% is generous to talk talking about the software. Yeah. Um, my concern in that world, the way that the, our, the media kind of processes this, is that Nintendo is a, as you and I know, Chris, uh, is a company that depends at least 50% on the uniqueness of the software experience. They're not just going, here's a tablet, and we're just going to stick some games on it, like oh, any yeah. old game. So I don't know that we know at all what the other one or two or five shoes are here that explain what this, how this device really would function and what it means. All we know is something about the hardware and the form factor. Right. So, I mean, based on what we know, I mean, again, I 100% agree with you. People don't understand, I mean, people who don't play these games don't understand how these mobile devices are actually used in people's lives. You are absolutely right. Um, when you look at an iPad and some people think, oh, but, you know, I'd rather carry my 3DS with me when I go somewhere. It's like, no, no, no. Kids, people, adults, everybody, they take the iPad and that thing gets the most use um, on the toilet, um, in, in, in bed. I mean, you look at surveys, it's like most people, um, play it in bed. Most people play it on the couch and on the bathroom, you know, in the bathroom, um, on an airplane, for example, not necessarily in the, in the places where you would have necessarily used, uh, I mean, but the thing is, I mean, even the Game Boy, even the, you know, most people played the Game Boy at home. The, the appeal is not just that it goes with you while you're moving. It's that, it is personal, and it goes with you. You know, all you really need is for it to go between the living room and the bedroom, and that already just one-upped what every home console can do. So I think that is precisely what Nintendo is looking at here and saying, there is a market opportunity for a dedicated gaming machine from Nintendo that fits into that space. Now, again, is that right or wrong? I'm not sure, but that really seems like what they're going for. But again, you're, you're absolutely right. Software is 51% of this of this question, and what kind of software are they going to produce that would that would run on this? Now we know that they're doing Breath of the Wild. So I mean, imagine, you know, again, imagine like just being able to get into this deep open world game, um, but you don't have to monopolize the television to do it. And that was precisely the use case that they that they sought after with Wii U, but you were still tethered to the same room thus making it an interesting proof of concept that was fundamentally broken. I think everybody tried at first with Wii U. Remember getting Wii U and like seeing how far you could walk with the gamepad? Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, and then, and then you realized that you couldn't make it two steps, and it was like, oh, okay, all right, I guess I'm sitting on the couch. Um, but, with, but with the NX, the appeal of being able to say, take Zelda and just take it into the bedroom or take it into the garage or wherever it is you're going to do your, while you're vaping. I don't know. Um, you know, <laughs> that's, 
that really does sell me um, on that more so than than the Wii U. And mm-hmm. I think that's the pitch to the Zelda type gamers. And then I think the rest of it is Nintendo doesn't care about shelfware. Nintendo loves them some shelfware. Nintendo made the most money in the world when we when we developers were releasing garbage on garbage on garbage, garbage. for the Wii. Yep. And it's Nintendo forever. makes the money off of that. And you know, your garbage is my treasure. You know, when somebody crapped out Mad Dog McCree, the old laser disc shooting game for the Wii, I bought it and played it and loved it. You know, everybody's <laughs> got everybody's got shovelware that they're gonna love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your your Dora the Explorer shovelware is somebody's kid's favorite video game of all time, mm-hmm. right? So I think that if Nintendo really sets it up and says, hey, like, because people are like, oh, third parties, third parties. It's like, you are so laser focused on, like, Bethesda, Activision, EA, and it's like, but but can it run Fallout 4 at 1080p? It's like, yeah, Nintendo might get third parties to put games that are really popular on the NX, but it's not going to be necessarily Fallout 4. Or that's it's the 3DS. That's, saga. that's the 3DS argument, yeah. which is a good, a very good argument, which is that they, the 3DS has been able to soldier along without. I mean, it had a pretty abysmal start. I mean, it had a, mm-hmm. a nice little start, and then an abysmal sink, and then it had that price cut, and it yep. somehow managed to to sort of bounce back and soldier on. And that's a, a you know, you don't hear third parties going, oh, it's so strange, and we don't want to develop for it. They're like, no, can we make some money? Can we de- develop a game? Can we be on this platform that everybody has? Right. Yep. And you know. I, I also think it's the case that, you know, I think people also underestimate the portability scenarios for tablets, which is bizarre, because mm-hmm. everyone I know has their iPad, and they throw it in a backpack or a purse, and they take it with them. And especially since Nintendo did the very Nintendo thing I could see them doing and releasing Nintendo-branded product. Activity software. I think people would take this. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. No. True. True. I yeah. mean, they there there is an there is a, a, a an ability to. I mean, look at you know Art Academy. Art Academy is a fantastic piece of software. Um, they could release stuff like that, like Nintendo Paint for the Nintendo NX, where it's just a downloadable app. Maybe it's free. You know, like they do have to. This this does, you know, lighten me a little bit in thinking that maybe Nintendo understands the the game that it's playing right now you know it's not in this you know it's like not only is it not in the same ballpark as as playstation 4 like nintendo's not even playing the same sport as playstation 4 at this point like it's they they really do have to come up with a product that makes sense in a world where everybody has a tablet where that is the preferred method of interaction where the preferred method of interaction is touch screens and where you have like a um, limitless array of free software that you can that you can download a new one every week and never get bored. Like Nintendo has to produce a product. Nintendo doesn't have to produce that product. That would be stupid. That would be as stupid as making a PlayStation 4 with a Nintendo logo on it. You don't just make the same product. But whatever you make has to accept that that world is reality and live in that world. Well, and, let, let, and again, let, if Nintendo did have a tablet, then it did have an awesome kick-ass you know, Nintendo paint program on it or, or something like that. Um, that, that actually could be really cool. Wouldn't, you know, again, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a phone. It wouldn't be 3g. It would just be Wi-Fi, you know, based. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, I think that's largely what people do with their tablets at this yeah. point anyway, rather than have a data plan for them. I, I think to be fair too, though, what you just said about the PlayStation 4 thing, I am not, I'm with you guys. I would rather see Nintendo always go strange and not compete with play, Sony or Microsoft. But I, I do think, to be fair to the people that are listening and going, but, 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 you know, you, the argument is not invalid to say that Nintendo could survive as a company and probably make piles of cash if it took its Disney caliber IP and put it on a PlayStation 4 clone and just did that. It's not what I want, um, but you know I don't know that the argument is that that would be a bad idea from a financial standpoint. I just think it might be a bad idea from a creative standpoint. It would change their brand. It would change their entire, uh, you know, their ability to zag in the future. I think. Oh, I think it would be a bad idea financially. I think it would oh, okay. because they'd be producing something very expensive. That um, ultimately, I, I think if you look at the Wii U, like that is the market at this point for a high-end Nintendo console. Like, even though the Wii U wasn't high-end, well, it was expensive. Um, and it was, um, it was, you know, it was an HD. I mean, when it came out, you know, it was relatively, you know, power comparable to what was available at the time. 
um, and it was still a total mess. I, 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 I don't think that that would actually work financially for them. I think that it would sell as badly as Wii U. Well, I think, and you have better insight into the Jap, into the Kel Kyoto, you know, thinking uh, th- than I do, just because of your interaction with them. I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of a Nintendo really ceded control in a way that they would never cede control. You know what I mean? Man, like, I think like Sony, so Sony, big, yeah, Sony and I, Microsoft are not like the. To be fair, I mean, I've no necessary bias against Sony and Microsoft, but they're not like the architects of their own massively successful first-party IP mm-hmm. that could that could that, that's so powerful that it could drive a system that probably should have sold you know half a million copies to to sales of even 12 million or thir- whatever the Wii U's at. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's impressive that you could sell even as many Wii U's as you did just purely based on your own ideas. Um, I'm just saying if yeah. they ceded control in a way that they're not, I'm just, I'm, it's an intellectual exercise. Absolutely <laughs> non-desirable. <laughs> I feel like Nintendo got so close with Wii to realizing that hardcore, the, that the Call of Duty crowd, um, that it should simply not produce products for them because it is like, it's like, God, everybody wants the, the Call of Duty crowd. And it's like, they they have their PlayStations and their Xboxes and they've decided that Nintendo isn't the brand for them. And it's really, it's, it's like, it is a branding thing. I mean, when the Nintendo GameCube was out, you all, I always remember hearing stories about like Resident Evil 4. Remember when that was a GameCube exclusive game? I mean, people wouldn't even look at the GameCube, even though here was this like, you know, amazing, beautiful M rated horror game. Um, the GameCube was still just like, man, that's for kids. That's just stuff for kids. <laughs> and that is where, and unless Nintendo wants to see, unless Nintendo wants to abandon children and literally toss the baby out with the bathwater, um, Nintendo is not going to like fully get back um, the the gamer crowd that is being marketed to, you know, exclusively by you know Sony and Microsoft that are just getting chased, you know. It, Every single right. thing that Sony and Microsoft does is for that 18 to 35 year old male demographic, plus the you know the kids on the back end. Um, you know, so like Nintendo can't split it both ways. And with the Wii, Nintendo was very it, it very, seemed very clear like we're done. We're we're done trying to have you know both have our cake and eat it. We're just gonna do the cake. And um, and then with the Wii U, it was just so sad to see Nintendo basically try to chase after the hardcore gamer demographic again and and just faceplant just totally faceplant trying to do it so uh, with the NX I really hope that they just give that stuff up I mean if if you were a third party third parties don't care third parties do not have I mean again like Bethesda probably Bethesda cares right Bethesda they make the types of games that they want to make and that's that um, they they probably won't end up on the NX because it's not powerful enough because all they do is really powerful stuff, right? But the rest, of the big third parties, your Activisions, your EAs, the guys at the top care what the graphics look like. Skylanders. The guys, yep. They want to make money, and if you again, if you if if you if if I could put out if I put out a Game Gear and it sold 50 million copies, uh, you know, right? Like the 3DS did. Every every major third party would address it, would put games on it, because they they're risk averse. They want to spread the software love around to make sure that they're kind of on everything. If there's money to be made there, then they will do it. So all Nintendo ha- Nintendo doesn't have to do anything with the NX except sell 50 million of them. And if Nintendo right. can do that, it will have third party support. Well, it might think not about... be the third-party games that everybody listening to this wants to have on the Nintendo platform, but it will have third-party support. And think about, and that's fine because, right, those experiences. If you want to play No Man's Sky, you're gonna. There's a place to play that. If you want to play Fallout 10, there's going to be a place to play that. Right. Um, you know, there's also needs to be a place, uh, and it's very important to play Animal Crossing, which is going to drive thunderous sales. Pokemon, the next Pokemon game, or whatever it is for NX. You know, thunderous sales of of that platform if it if if Nintendo has checked the other boxes. You know, so yep. yeah, I completely agree. I think yeah. that's exactly right. Absolutely. Yep. Wall Street Journal, by the way, followed up on this Eurogamer report by saying that the uh, NX would be compatible, quote unquote, compatible with Nintendo smartphone games. So mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that like you know not not that Pokemon Go is made by Nintendo, but that Pokemon Go might appear on the NX. 
and that you might be able to take the NX in tablet mode out with you Pokemon hunting. And if Nintendo is smart, it'll really push to make like the NX version of Pokemon Go, like the best version of Pokemon Go. Um, you know, maybe it would connect with your Nintendo account. Maybe it would, you know, send those Pokemon to the, you know, ro- the traditional role-playing game Pokemon game that Nintendo will eventually, you know, put on the NX. Um, you know, again, this alone, like to really see what would happen if Nintendo put everything onto one device. If literally the same device you needed to play Pokemon was the same device you needed to play the latest, greatest, high-definition version of Zelda. Um, and what would actually happen at that point? And, uh, you know, N- Nintendo clearly is thinking it's a good idea. And I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying that, like, they might not put out the NX and then a year later put out a home uh, version. Um, but that that home version, like the NX, um, again, assuming for purposes of argument your gamer is correct, um, would be also be powered by the NVIDIA Tegra. Um and I'm really curious, now that semi-accurate report that came out, not that the report itself was semi-accurate, but I was on a site called Semi-Accurate, as in, as in like, uh, accurate-ish about uh, semiconductors. Um, they had said months ago, yep, it's Tegra, it's in the NX, and, and the, the gist of this article was um, NVIDIA basically needed a console win. Like, they needed to get an NVIDIA chip into a console. And so... They, Everybody runs AMD. Right. Exactly, yeah. and everybody assumed that that would just be exactly what would happen in the future. Um, but and and to break that cycle and to get Nvidia into the Nintendo products, it's like it it the the guy at Semi Accurate, you know, said Nvidia basically cut them a really sweet deal um, to to get the deal done. Um, and so, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know about a, that. There, I don't know about that. I don't know. Who, who there knows? Was that, who there knows? was that interesting. Richard, Richard Ledbetter at Eurogamer did that. That you know, more technical deep dive. He's with Digital yes. Foundry. They do yes. that. Yes. And he had that interesting little bit at the end. I think it's probably. And he's even he is saying, I I don't think this could be. But it could be the, the idea that they'd put the what the X2 instead of the, the X1, one. which would, yeah, if yeah. they did the X2, then it because it you know we don't know exactly. We don't know really anything about it, but but for the that it could right. quite. Become quite competitive maybe with that, the PS. You know, maybe that's maybe that's the delay to March. Maybe that's the big delay out of 2016. Um, and into March is oh, we have an opportunity if we just bump this back a little bit more in the fiscal year, we could put um an even more powerful chip in here and not you know not really lose anything because it's just an upgrade over the last version. Uh, but we just have to wait a little bit. Who knows? I have no idea. But what do you, what do you guys think about this? Just a thought here. The only other thought. It's not a, It has no. I think bearing on the business success of this because you know we, we're all doing this with smartphones and tablets already. But I was playing last night, you know, a, a, an up, a game that's coming out next week called Abzu on my PlayStation 4, and at the same time I had on in the background uh, the Hillary speech for for the DNC, and I'm and I'm realizing as I'm playing this game that's got beautiful music by Journey composer Austin Wintry and, and and just unbelievable you know visuals and all of this important stuff going on, that my de- attention is divided in a way that is harming my experience of the game significantly mm. and, and I somebody was somebody was talking about NX and they were jokingly saying I think it was actually Chris Graft over at Gamasutra is a very sharp you know guy um, but he was jokingly saying he goes I would love this device because then I could sit on my couch and play games while watching Seinfeld reruns and I'm going are we losing something here in our ability to focus you know now games in particular are going to miss this chance that all the other media had where you know you used to an audiophile would sit down and put on a head, headset and put on their turntable and listen to a record and do nothing yeah. else and now we're going to be <laughs> playing these games and the games are are competing for our attention with 15 other things in the room i mean i think that experience will always be there for the people who are serious and enthusiastic about whatever it is but i think you know that if Nintendo is making a portable-ish thing, then they're probably also going to be making games, and they have indeed made games in the past, like say Animal Crossing, that reward and are designed for you know split attention and and attention in short bursts. But they haven't really fit with the consoles that they've made because a home console is, I think, built for that for that singular attention. But something like Animal Crossing or even Pokemon isn't, and so I think you know there is room for both. I hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I like that. I think I, I think that's that's my, my hope anyway. My hope would I guess my hope it's kind of down to us as players, right? Like it's my job to turn off the speech and watch it later, right? It's not <laughs> it's not the technology's job to to coerce me into it. So I think it is partly right. the you know the personal responsibility thing there. But yeah, who knows? Look, all I know is this. It's a lot easier to grind in an 8-bit role-playing game if you're also watching TV at the same time. <laughs> oh, man, it's true. <laughs> that I do not ever want to give up. <laughs> so, Matt, you said you were playing Abzu, a new yes. video game. Abzu. Probably which, want to talk about it. Yeah, which I, I, had me at Austin Wintery. You, you guys probably saw it at E3. They had the posters where they were dividing the word ab and zoo. You know, ab is, I think it's like a transliterated Sumerian word that means ocean, and zoo uh, means wisdom, and so they were calling it like an ocean of wisdom. Um, it's also, it turns out, it's also the name of, I think, of a, of a sort of Mesopotamian cre uh, god, and it ties into a creation myth, and there's a whole, uh, it's all inspired by sort of some of the oldest creation stories and, and mythologies, which I love. That's that's a period I like a lot more than Egypt or Greece or, you know, frankly, the, some of the soap opera-ish elements of the Iliad and, and, and the Odyssey. I'm more a Gilgamesh guy. So so I was really interested in this game. And the the idea is that think of it think of it essentially as a swimming simulator, sort of. Uh, you know, and I can't I can only talk a little bit about like the first couple of zones because we're under embargo right now, but you you're sort of moving through water, you know, as you would swimming, um, in these just really picturesque environments. And, and initially, you're not sure what's going on. It's one of those kinds of games. It's very much like Flower. And I should back up and say it's by Matt Nava, who was the art director for both Flower and Journey. And he went off and it did his own thing and and uh, side studio. Um, uh, oh gosh, Giant Squid, I think they're called. Anyway, they, uh, the, the premiere was at Sony's E3 event, um, I think it was 2014, if I remember correctly, and they had it up on a big screen, and they, they first showed you sort of swimming around. Anyway, so you're not exactly sure what you're doing other than that it's very exploration-driven, it's very scenery-driven, it's very much about sort of interacting with uh, aquatic sea life and, and kind of the zen of being in this environment more so than trying to necessarily solve puzzles or or perform difficult maneuvers. So so that never really I think comes comes to bear on on what you're doing, but there is a story and the story is very elliptical and and you're reading sort of signs as you're moving through the environment. There's some hieroglyphic stuff, you know, these the symbology and signs and you're trying to make sense of why you're here and what has happened. So I now that's probably about all I can say right now, but it's very I would say the, the, the parts I can talk about, um, the early levels, are really stunning. Um, and I think it's fair to talk about them, talk about the graphics. Normally I don't like to do this, but I think in this case, we're talking about something that's almost painterly. You know, like you would, we wouldn't shy from, from uh, gushing over a painting by Monet or something like that. And yet we've kind of, we kind of shy now from gushing over graphics in games because, you know, Call of Duty and all that kind of junk. Um, not junk, but, you know, I mean, the, the kind of gushing about it is kind of junky. And uh, this is not that. This is a game where you should legitimately be sort of moved, I think, by the visual pastiche and the way they've they put it together. So so there you go. There's Abzu. When's that out? That is out on Tuesday. Next Tuesday, August cool. 2nd, is that? I think August 2nd. I think it's 19.99, and then uh, it's they, they're doing like a PlayStation Plus thing where you get it for... 15 bucks if you're a PS Plus member. Uh, yeah. I'll add it to my indie game pile of shame that I really need to uh, <laughs> be playing because, because God knows we love talking about indie games at uh, Game Life, and I'm just like, oh, crap, i got to actually play that game. And, and people are like, it's only 15 minutes, and I'm like, oh, I, I don't have 15 minutes. Um, yeah. Oh, Austin Winter, you, and if you're an Austin Winter, yeah. it, is, it is, I like it, I, I think it is uh, his, his uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's his uh, pinnacle moment. I like it better than Journey. Journey, I really? like. Really? Hey, wow. But this, this is more. This is more like, I don't know. There's who's better the guy? Better than wanted? Journey. Matt Peckham time. Better than Journey <laughs> quotes. So, yes. 
They could put that on the box if the game had a box. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a fellow a fellow friend and tech journalist, uh, Harry McCracken, had this thing. He was much better at it than me, but he used to say he would intentionally avoid ever using language in a review that he thought would be conducive to a pull quote. So he like sure, went out of his yeah. way to try and you know I don't have that skill. I just have to say what I'm saying and <laughs> get out of the way. But anyway. I very rarely get those pull quote requests because I've gotten one in, in they, my in my entire career. Did it appear good. on a box or anything? I would wear that. I, that's a badge worth wearing. Yeah, I do not know what what would happen to it. I think it yeah, might. Either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I know. Okay, so it was for Doom, New Doom, yeah. and which is a game I love. So I'm not. I don't feel too weird about that. But. There was a thing at the Bethesda press conference where they showed a bunch of, of of critical responses to Doom on the screen for like two seconds, just a big screen full, oh, yeah. of, full of quotes about how great that game was. And I looked for myself and didn't have yeah. it long enough, so uh, I might have been there. I don't that's know. That's what. Yeah, they. You know, typically it's it's like, yo, can we use this in our marketing materials? And it's like, oh yeah, it's gonna be in some press conference or it's gonna right. be on. Some, press release or whatever yeah. i don't know we don't do that so at wired we just um we anytime we get that request that just gets forwarded on to a department that is not us um and then same. we never and then we never hear about it again same with you yeah same yep. with us. We have an yep. independent, yeah we have an independent yep. group that handles all of that and stuff and yeah, I, it's yeah, interesting because yeah. i've been asked I, i've only I been asked a handful of times i've only been asked a handful of times but they i never see like I'll occasionally go look at the trailer to be like, okay, how embarrassing is this going to be? That you know, <laughs> got it. Well, you got to put up. You got to spike those. You got to spike some reviews with, um, you know, some uh, easily quotable phrases. Yeah. Yeah. That was there was controversy no. <laughs> over like um, the um, the the movie about oh, what is it, uh, Mr. Peabody and and Sherman or whatever. I don't know what that's oh, called, right. Mr. Peabody. But um, there was like this whole thing where it's like. There's a big quote on a, that was on all the billboards. It was like the dog father of all movies, and um, and it's like it was it was attributed to somebody, but like people couldn't find that quote anywhere, and it seemed very um, unlikely that someone would spontaneously generate that that quote in a in a story. <laughs> so it's like yeah, some of these quotes you see, it's like they they uh, I don't know really know where they come from, how they get in there, um, so. Let's let's all try to say the dog father of all games in our next uh, in our next piece, and hopefully it'll get picked up in the billboard. Um, so speaking of the indie game pile of shame, another brand yes. new edition for me. Um, it, you know, it's it's just nice having Jake around because it can like, here, Jake, play this game, write a really good piece about it. I don't have to do it. Um, and uh, and but then it's but then it's very easy for me to not play the game. Um, but you just played um, Quadrilateral Cowboy. Yes, this is the new game by Brendan Chung, who is well known among indie game circles and game nerds everywhere for um, making short, subversive first-person narrative experiences. He's best known for a game called 30 Flights of Lovin', which is brief and full of smash cuts and doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but is really interesting. And um, now, Would you also describe Quadrilateral Cowboy in the, in the same way? Um, not quite, although it's okay. similar in style and it takes place in the same sort of game universe and it has the same visual style where everyone sort of is square and blocky and goofy looking and it's it's adorable. But um, in the same way Matt called Abzu a game that is sort of a swimming simulator, Quadrilogue Quadrilateral Cowboy is a heist game, sort of. It is a heist game where you are a hacker using goofy, outmoded 80s tech. Like, um, it, it seems to be inspired by the idea that, like, well, I think of is so when William Gibson wrote, wrote Neuromancer in the late 70s, he actually did not know anything about computers and didn't know anything about how the internet would actually work, and so he made it with this very goofy, plain, clunky tech, tech technology. And this game uses kind of that same idea, where you're doing this very high-tech hacker heist thing, but you you have you know a laptop inside of a giant suitcase, and everything is you know retro, early '80s 
technology, just doing really futuristic stuff. And it's really it is clunky in a really really fun way. You have to you know learn a very simple programming language, and you type in you know open this door, and it opens a door, and you type you know move my little hacker robot this way, and it goes and it goes this way, and you do these things to break into places, steal things. You're Uploading. It really, from your description, it really sounds like replicating the feel of being a hacker in a 1980s movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That. And so you're breaking in, stealing contracts, uploading brains, all that sort of cyberpunk stuff. And, and is that, there is there actual like fake keyboard clacking in the from the game audio as well? Yes, yes, there is. It, yep. it sounds yep. and feels just like an old school mechanical. Yeah. Keyboard. When mechanical keyboards weren't weren't trendy, the other type just hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 that is fun and satisfying, and it's it's a weird weird kind of puzzle game because it doesn't follow the normal arc that puzzle games normally follow, where at some point like it feels like the train wheels come off and you go the races. This doesn't do that quite so much, and so it can feel a little, a little limited and unsatisfying as just like a hacking puzzle experience, but around that, on top of that, and in that, it has that, you know, Brendan Chung style and narrative flair, and it tells you a story about these hackers but you know without ever using words instead he uses you know setting and environmental details and like actual cinematic techniques like smash cuts that move you suddenly from one place to another and you're like okay what's going on where am i who are these people and you build a relationship with these people and you kind of follow them through their hacker heist c career it feels like sort of a greatest hits of a fictional cyberpunk heist game and, yeah i like yeah. i like the use of smash cuts in a video game because yes. typically not done and because i think that i feel like video game designers um have felt that they they cannot play around with temporality that yeah. way. Like they have to. It's like they could do all these things where oh you know you know you can build a relationship with these people by going and playing tennis with them, or you can build a relationship with these people by by you know going to the bar with them. But it's like you have to navigate yourself to the tennis court and to the bar all right. kind of in real time, and then and then like you know walk up to a person and press the X button when they have an exclamation point over their head and select the right option of dialogue. Then that thing starts, and it just sort of like adds on. Yes. It, but and and then you buy the game, and it says hundred hours of gameplay. And most of it is right, yeah. right. Whereas this is like, well, why don't we just smash cut? to the action, based on your description, by the yes, way, again, absolutely. I haven't played this game, listening to your description, but it's like, I get this sense of like, well, let's just, let's just smash cut to the, the one minute that's really important here, absolutely. and then, and then smash away, and then just try to get it all done, yeah. Yes, absolutely, and, and I, 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 I think, you know, it's a bit disorienting at first, just because that is indeed something that games don't do very often, but once you get used to it, I think it feels really good, because there is actually a scene where you are playing squash with another character and it feels very nice and interesting because you 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 finish a heist and then suddenly you're there and you're doing it and it's a fun bonding moment and then when it's done it's done and you're back to whatever else you were doing you don't got to drive home or whatever it is and it's yeah it's great and I, this is a game I would absolutely recommend you should play it cool well you've convinced <laughs> me I'm going to check it out sweet great and it also has a lot of mod tools, and like Brandon Chung has put out a mod tutorial. So if you are into the puzzle hacker stuff, then I imagine in a few weeks there are going to be some really tricky, interesting fan-made levels as well. So that'll be cool. Man, I haven't played a dang thing recently. <laughs> what have I even played? Some Gordon Ramsay Dash, which I wrote about. Gordon Ramsay no. Dash. Gordon Ramsay Dash. What? 
You um, <laughs> it's it's Diner Dash, but it's starring Gordon Ramsay now. And the appeal is that uh, Gordon Ramsay yells at you and or compliments you as you play the game, which is if you watch a lot of Hell's Kitchen and Kitchen Nightmares and MasterChef and all that kind of stuff, which I definitely do, um, it really is fun. It really is, like, hilarious um, to, like, complete a level and and have, like, Gordon Ramsay's voice being, like, absolutely stunning, you know? Like, it's, it's so nice. funny. Yeah. Or, or to tell you that you're a horrible person for, you know, messing it up. Um, but even so, it's funny. You know what I mean? It's like you lose, and then there's some, like, profanity-laced rant from Gordon Ramsay about it. It's like, <laughs> ah, okay, that's fine. Um, but, I, yeah, I haven't uh, done much of uh, anything in the way of video game playing. I went to, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Well, I mean, so, I mean, it's just been really busy. Um we had California Extreme, the big arcade game show, a couple of weeks ago, which we were at. And then I was up at Seattle Retro Gaming Expo uh, up in up in Seattle. Um, and um, besides giving a, 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 a panel or a speech that I've been refining over a while called um, How to Collect Games Without Going Broke or Getting Scammed, uh, both of which are, you know, very possible, um, I, I actually moderated a session um, about the Nintendo PlayStation the original prototype nice. that Sony was working on, which was a Super Nintendo with a CD-ROM drive. Project it was Reality. PlayStation. No, not Project Reality. Oh, Project, Project Reality Hill. was the N64. Oh, right. This I'm sorry. The, Whoa. This was the Super Nintendo CD-ROM unit that never happened. Uh, that was the partnership between Nintendo and Sony. Um, and basically, the unit is a Super Nintendo with a CD-ROM drive. Um, but these guys, I mean, you know, long story short, like these guys... This 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 guy who lives in Philadelphia had worked at a company that was run by Olaf Olafsson, who was the former head of Sony Computer Entertainment America. Mm. Um, and that company went out of business. Olaf Olafsson left all of his um, personal effects, like pallets of them, in the company's wow. warehouse. Mm. Um, they sold them all, threw them all out, and... Um, this this guy who'd worked at the company who had seen what was in the warehouse and seen inside a box and seen like you know this video game system that he had really no idea what it was um he bought the the boxes and boxes of stuff um like literally he had like oh i guess he hadn't seen the playstation but he, he bought stuff and and he just bought like two carloads of just stuff at pennies on the dollar and it was like brand new CDs, you know, from Sony Music, you know, that this guy had owned and, like, his shoes and his ties <laughs> and stuff. And then in there is, like, as far as anybody knows, the one remaining, you know, model of the quote-unquote Nintendo PlayStation, um, which is a Super Nintendo with a CD-ROM drive. This is PlayStation on it. Um, and, uh, and, and so they only recently discovered, because these guys are not like gaming industry or follow any of the news or anything, only recently discovered that this was like the holy grail of the gaming community. Um, and so now they take it around to retro gaming expos, um, which is, which I'm, they, they seem like nice people and I'm terrified um, because they had this thing just sitting out there and I was able to go up and pick up the controller and like, mess around with Street Fighter 2, because it works, because the thing works, um, and, like, play some Street Fighter 2 Turbo on it, and I'm just like... Somebody's going to steal or break this. No, yeah, I mean, yes, somebody could steal it, somebody could break it. I mean, if you steal it, what are you going to do with it, you know? Right. Like, because as soon as you try to sell it, you know, you have to... There, I don't know if there's an underground black mafia, you know, like, running the behind the behind the scenes, running a black market of, like, you know... Um, Mega Man Legends two copies. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but like, what are you gonna do with it if you steal it? Um, but like, it could break all this travel. It could get confiscated by customs if they take it outside of the country, which they've oh, done. Man. Um, oh, man. And really, even if none of that happens, every person who touches it, because everybody is picking this thing up, literally holding it and getting their pictures taken with it, and it's like every hand, every you know, all of the hand oils from everybody, even if you've washed your hands, like it's going to degrade this thing. And that's why I kind of said at the, at, during the panel that I was moderating and talking about, I'm like, I have to be that guy, you know, I have to be Indiana Jones here and say it belongs in a museum. Um, hmm. 
but it's theirs, and uh, they're they're having fun uh, taking it around to various video game shows and stuff like that. So just fingers crossed that after the sort of initial fun of everybody getting to you know play this thing, you know, is kind of over, um, maybe it'll end up somewhere uh, that is equipped to uh, to take care of it and ensure that it survives you know, for the next 100, 200 years. Um, uh, fingers I've, crossed. So, yeah, I've, I mean, again, I, I don't think these are, you know, these are not, these are definitely not bad people. You know, they're very nice people. They're, they're, they really want to, you know, have fun and, you know, get this in front of people and, and show it to the community. And they don't want to, they don't want to sell it. You know, they've had insane high offers. They don't want to sell it. But it's like, man, I'm just so terrified for this thing. <laughs> I appreciate the, the 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 level of care and concern, Chris Kohler, that you have for these things because someone's got to do it. I don't know that I that I would care so much about. <laughs> I'm not. About I'm actually. Failed, I'm uh, I'm an imperfect um, you know, person here because I also have a video game collection that, if I was acting, you know, purely unselfishly, would simply donate the whole thing to to a museum right now. Um, but I, I also enjoy owning video games. You, might, but, see, you, you become that one person then that eventually has has uh, uh, curated this thing and made sure that, that these things are not being picked up by 5,000 people a year <laughs> or whatever it is. And then someday you can make that philanthropic you know, act when you're like, okay, here we go. Here right, unless the, you know, unless the basement floods. Then everything well, that's... Is... <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know where your water shutoffs are. That's the question. I know. I do know. I do know. No, it's true. It's true. The good stuff's on the high shelf. Um, yeah. So, it's it, yeah. It's it is it is very. Uh, it's it was very interesting to go. I mean, certainly again, like it was super fun to moderate the panel. It's amazing to actually get to see this thing in real life. And they um, they actually had you know Ben Heckendorn, Ben Heck, the YouTuber that always is hacking things and yep. making making things and whatnot um they took it to him and he actually um replaced uh leaky capacitors that were on the board and nice. figured out what capacitors to go on and fixed it because now they seem to have a problem with the laser diode of the cd-rom which also should be fixable replaceable but um like when the, when the thing runs its self-diagnostics test now it used to say oh cd-rom bad um, you know, this is bad, that's bad. Now that the capacitors have been replaced, it says it's okay. Hmm. So we're getting very close to, and, and, and that, is, that is, of course, very good, by the way, um, that, it, like, it, I, I, can, I can see some people thinking, like, why are they taking the original parts off of this thing and putting new parts into it? Because the way that capacitors work is that they can leak and explode and, and ruin everything. And ruin everything. And actually leak all over the motherboard and then and then everything is kaput. Um, so yeah. you do not want that to happen with this thing. So I mean the fact that an expert has replaced it, great. So they could actually get to the point because oh now the C D ROM drive opens and closes. And it didn't oh. before. And now it does. Yeah, so you know, this they, is this is all they can get to the point where they could run software on it. This is yeah. all in keeping with good collection maintenance too. I mean, like when for the brief time that I was doing high-end kind of comics collecting uh, 15 years ago or so, I, I had a copy of Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing yep. Spider-Man wow. 1, and I I actually the Amazing Fantasy 15 looked like like um, very fine plus, and it was partly because the the person who had owned it had sent it off to a company that, and I didn't know they existed at the time. Will take out pages and add like cellulose to the paper to repair the oh, paper where there are tears. They yeah, yeah, yeah. take the staples out. They take the yep. staples out, clean the staples, and then put the staples back in. Yeah, it's it's amazing what you can do. That was like 15 years ago. So I mean, this is this is oh, all yeah. part of preservation. That's gonna start happening. You're gonna see that more with like video game boxes and stuff like that to repair tears. Um, to people actually like repairing the tears with cellulose because like right now, um, that's it, it's the stuff is not I think valuable enough to um. It's like you could take a ripped box and get it repaired, but there's so many game boxes out there. Why not just go buy? a box that's in that's in perfect condition rather than pay people to do it with amazing fantasy 15 you know you can't just go grab another one right. um, and yeah. it is worth it to pay the money to get it restored and restored now the problem is with video game restorations what people do now 
And every now and again, I buy something and then I look closer at it. I'm like, oh man, what the heck is this? Because people do quote unquote restoration work on their video game cartridges, which is they, if, if a game's box is black and some of the black ink has come off and you can see white cardboard underneath it, they take a Sharpie and they, and they draw in on the, on the white part. And the problem is if you hold it away from a distance, yeah, it looks great. Congratulations. But like you actually just put more damage on the box. So, so you this got a is bunch like, of Sharpie ink and you soaked it all into the cardboard. This is like when I was like a little kid and I had a Kermit the Frog doll and he had, you know, how he has a little black dot with the two little lines coming out of for uh, the, where the people yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I wore it off and I got out a black marker and tried desperately in my like five, six year old mindset to yeah. redraw it back on and it just, was never the same. It didn't stick. No, there's probably a way you could have done it, but it wasn't going to be just drawing directly on it with a Sharpie marker. That's um, yeah, so basically that's like the state of video game restoration today, which is actually literally doing further damage to the item. Um, but uh, hopefully, yeah, well, not hopefully because, you know, I mean, it, I think that one day games and game ephemera and game boxes will actually get expensive enough to actually merit, you know, those restoration techniques. But they need to be done by a real professional, as you say. But that's really interesting. You, I know we're almost at time here, but I got to yes. ask both of you guys, are you are you both uh, anticipating, excited about, planning to play No Man's Sky? Mm. Or is it just much way too hyped at this point? To, I'm to interested. I'm interested. Uh, I'm gonna play it. <laughs> is this, I, is this, is this the new never, Minecraft for you, Chris? It never, it, you know, it No Man's Sky. You looked at it, I'm like, oh, that's a cool idea. But it never, like, it never grabbed me as like something that I really wanted to do. Um, and yeah, now there's this this feeling that it's um it's just the game of the summer and everybody's got to play it. I'm like, I don't actually think that's necessarily the case. I know the Hello Games guys. I'm looking forward to messing around with it, but like. The idea of, like, I don't know, I mean, and who knows, maybe it turns out that it's actually um, really up my alley. I just want to play, man, I just want I just want 15 minutes to play 30 Flights of Love at this point. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to go to the center of the universe. <laughs> Amen. Well, I just mentioned it because we're like, yep. what, whatever it is, a week and a half yeah. out, August 9th. We're close, we're very that. close, yep. Uh, so yes, uh, maybe we'll talk about No Man's Sky in the next Game Life podcast, who knows? I don't know how that's all going to work out, but... Um, mm. Yes, but uh, this has been, in fact, the Game Life podcast, slightly abbreviated, slightly abbreviated, um, because uh, we, we got to go. Um, but thank you for listening. And um, let's see. Uh, my name is Chris Kohler. I was your host, and I can be found on Twitter at Kobun Heat. That's K-O-B-U-N-H-E-A-T. It's a terrible name, I know. <laughs> and I am Jake Muncy. You can find me on Twitter, conveniently, at Jake Muncy, J-A-K-E-M-U-N-C-Y. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Peckham. Uh, you can find me at time.com or Twitter, uh, M-A-T-T-P-E-C-K-H-A-M. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.